On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Tonight on The Readout. Folks, honestly, she's guilty as hell. She's guilty as hell. I will say this. Hillary Clinton has to go to jail, okay? She has to go to jail. I to go. The party that has campaigned for more than six years on their plans to lock up their political opponents. Well, now they're crying foul. Now that one of their own, Donald Trump, is facing possible indictments for actual crimes. And as we await the first of possibly multiple criminal charges, Republicans are all coming to Trump's defense as usual and promising to haul anyone who dares to prosecute Trump before Congress. And we begin tonight with the potential indictment of Donald J. Trump over allegations that he illegally paid hush money to adult film actress Stormy Daniels during his 2016 run for the presidency. The indictment of a former president would be a stunning moment in American history. Full stop. It's an event that looms, as grand jurors heard today from attorney Robert Costello, who was called to testify at Trump's request. He was a legal advisor at one time to Michael Cohen, the Trump fixer who said Trump directed him to make that payment to Ms. Daniels. Costello could be among the final witnesses in the Manhattan grand jury investigation into the hush money scheme. And we will get to more on that shortly. But first, let's just recall that Trump and his party once campaigned on a very specific promise about Hillary Clinton. And if I win, I am going to ask my attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor to look into her crimes. She should be locked up, I'll tell you right now. What she's done, what she's done, she ought to be ashamed of herself. Lock her up is right. No. You lock them up. You should lock them up. Lock up the Bidens. Lock up Hillary. Lock her up was the central theme of Trump's 2016 campaign, along with build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. It was the perfect distillation of the sexist way conservatives pile on women leaders and dangerous feminists, so much so that the slogan became Republican gospel. But the frenzied vow to clap their political rivals behind bars is more than a rallying cry for Republicans these days. It is their entire brand. Their top priorities are less about the people who elected them and more about investigating long debunked conspiracy theories around the Clintons, as well as President Biden and his family. You can now tack on the Manhattan District Attorney's Office run by an African-American Democrat, Alvin Bragg, who has become a new target for MAGA Republicans like Jim Jordan, who, along with two House Republican chairmen, is demanding that Bragg testify in Congress about his investigation. They love saying, lock them up for their opponents. Quite a different story, though, when Trump could be facing that very fate. Talk of locking up Trump, holding him accountable. Suddenly we're in a banana republic. 
Cue the spectacle of paranoid outrage. Kevin McCarthy called just the prospect, the prospect of a Trump prosecution, an outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA. Others called it a sham, stupid fake charges, political persecution, utter and complete crap. Let's not forget Andy Biggs offering the ominous warning. If they can come for Trump, they will come for you. This stuff only occurs in third world authoritarian nations. Well, false start, Team MAGA. There is no indictment yet, but now we know your defense. And it's pretty rich coming from actual insurrection apologists inside Congress. I mean, do they miss their own memo on how the entire Republican platform is centered around locking up their political opponents based on nothing? D.A. Bragg is not commenting, but he has communicated to his team internally that they will not be intimidated. And federal and state law enforcement are preparing for the worst, all based on a Trump post on his bootleg Twitter, an all-caps screed about an imminent arrest and calling for his supporters to protest. Remember what happened the last time he called on his patriots to protest? Mike Pence remembers. It was the day he was almost killed by a mob that wanted to hang him. They even brought a noose and everything. Which is why nine days ago, the former vice president said Trump was wrong for what he did. Wow, Mike, you think? Again, he said this nine days ago, less than the fingers that you can count on two hands. But already, Pence has changed his tune, calling just the possibility of the indictment of his former boss a politically charged prosecution. Lock them up, except when it's Trump, which is exactly what a Trump banana republic would look like. Joining me now. Former FBI agent Peter Strzok, former U.S. Senator from Missouri, Claire McCaskill, and Charles Blow, columnist for The New York Times. Peter, I do want to start with you. Um, I want to play what Mike Pence, the full sort of quote, it's not the full quote, but I'm not going to play everything he said, but I'm going to play a little bit of what he said, because it, it feels very ironic, and I would love to get your take. Here's Mike Pence. I'm taken aback at the idea of indicting a former president of the United States, um, at a time when there's a crime wave in New York City, that the fact that the Manhattan DA thinks that indicting President Trump is his top priority, I think, is just tells you everything you need to know about the radical left in this country. It just feels like a politically charged prosecution here. He had all the erogenous zones on the far right, uh, Peter. And as somebody who they used to want to lock up yourself, um, what do you make of sort of norm core Republicans used to be, like Mike Pence, um, suddenly thinking, you know, maybe locking up Trump for actual crimes would be an abrogation of the law. Well, short answer is I think it tells you they are terrified still in early 2023 of Donald Trump and will be for the continuing future. Look, to use Mike Pence's word in that clip just now, that clip tells you everything you need to know about Mike Pence. Trump whipped a crowd on January 6th into a frenzy and they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Mike Pence, we know through the January 6th committee, was sitting in apparently a loading dock beneath the Capitol or somewhere near the Capitol, afraid to get into his Secret Service motorcade because he didn't know what was going to happen. So despite his life being threatened for uh, over hours over the course of January 6th, despite being willing to talk about all the horrible things that happened in the Wall Street ed- Journal editorial and his book, he is still not afraid to denounce Trump. He is still hiding from a grand jury. He is still attempting to provide any information in a criminal court of law about what actually happened. Just to provide the truth, he doesn't want to do that. And so I think what that tells you, the short answer, everybody in the Republican Party is terrified about Donald Trump still. And I don't see that changing, unfortunately. 
And, and the thing is that, you know, Claire, they're, they're, they're trying to sell this as some sort of weaponization of government. First of all, they're stepping all over the, the supposed separation between the powers of a state. You know, they were supposed to be the Federalists here uh, and, and the powers of the federal government saying, oh, you can't, you touch Trump, you got to come and, and talk to us. And actually, not, not true. But, but, you know, I am struck by the fact that they don't seem to recognize how much the federal government has operated to protect Trump. I found this stunning. The, uh, Michael Cohen did an interview this weekend with uh, my, my dear friend Alex Witt and reminded her of something that I had actually forgotten. It went into the memory hole. Jeffrey Berman, who used to be at the Department of Justice, he was supposed to be somebody who upheld the law. At the time, this is what he wrote in his book, four years after leaving office, he finally let us know. According to his book, Berman's book, Justice Department top brass tried to shield Trump, demanding that Berman's team of prosecutors scrub, prosecutors scrub any reference to him in public law enforcement documents. And the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, even tried to unravel Michael Cohen's prosecution by shopping around an alternative legal theory that, in fact, Trump's right hand man had not, in fact, broken campaign finance laws. They were literally Berman sort of admits to being leaned on by Barr to not prosecute Trump. They, and then they wound up only prosecuting at the federal level Michael Cohen for paying off somebody Donald Trump was sleeping with. So Trump has been protected the whole time, Claire. And now they're screaming bloody murder because he's been busted. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, t- Trump not only has been protected, Trump used the pardon. He used Bill Barr to um, basically wipe out a guilty plea by Michael Flynn. Unheard of. As people tell you in the federal system, you don't wipe out guilty pleas by criminal defendants ever. Uh, You know, I think one thing this incident should do is remind Americans about the checks and balances in the rule of law. And I think a lot of Americans get confused about the difference between federal prosecutors and state prosecutors. Alvin Bragg is a state prosecutor. Nobody in Congress can do diddly squat to him. The people that check him are the voters and judges, and the ethical considerations of his job. Nobody can in Washington can pardon whoever is convicted by a local prosecutor. And this idea that Republicans now are going after duly elected prosecutors at the state level, by the way, who are prosecuting 99% of the crime in America and doing it very well, by and large. There may be some outliers that have made some mistakes, but the voters will have their way with them. They threw one out in San Francisco not too long ago. So Alvin Bragg is going to follow the facts and the law. And that's what makes all these folks so nervous. And by the way, I'm old fashioned, Joy. I think somebody who's running for president should not be allowed to pay off a porn star in order to get elected president. I just I just think that's wrong in America. Well, that's because you're not a Republican, <laughs> Claire, because they don't care. OK, I mean, the morality is not even in it, Charles. I mean, it, the reality is if you build an entire political platform around locking up your political enemies for reasons you don't even specify, you're just, we're just going to lock her up. But then when your guy gets busted for actual crimes and you know how I'm telling I know these are actual crimes and I'm, I'm not just hyper- being hyper- making up hyperbole because Michael Cohen went to prison and got three years for them. So if it is illegal to do what Michael Cohen did, he did it for Trump. (laughs) They did it together. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, the false equivalencies here are all over the place, right? There is the Mike Pence false equivalency to pretend that some petty criminal who picks up something from a store and shoplifts is the same as a, a, a president of the United States who was in a candidate violating campaign finance 
uh, rules is the same thing. It is absolutely not. But 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 they try to tie those things together as if they are the same. You know, there is the the, the false equivalency that oh, it, it happens on the right and it happens on the left. No one tried to politicize the Department of Justice to the degree that Donald Trump had. No one in the history of America tried to do it as hard as he did. It was just that they didn't allow him to do it. The the, the crimes that they allege are happening uh, with, with Hunter Biden, there, there is no equivalency to the money, the, even the amount of money they say is involved in that to what Jared Kushner got after he left off, uh, left uh, being Trump's advisor in the White House from the Saudis. There is no equivalency. And and there were no and still are no congressional hearings about that. But there are congressional hearings about Hunter Biden and there are congressional hearings about looking into, you know, what happened with, with COVID and the rules around that. The, the problem is that they want to make it up. One side does it and another side does it kind of a conversation. It is not America. It is not. There is no equivalency between what Donald Trump is alleged to have done, not just in this case about paying off uh, Stormy Daniels, but all of the cases in which he is being uh, investigated and what any other president has done. Any other candidate I'm now referencing Hillary ha- ha- was alleged to have done. No one. No one. This is in a league of its own. If 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 there's a danger of America being broken by this prosecution, it, it, you've already skipped over the fact that Donald Trump already broke the norms. Already. I mean, and, and, and indeed, and Peter, I mean, if it, there's no, there's been no leak. They're trying to make it sound like D.A. Alvin Bragg leaked. I'm prosecuting Trump. No, the only person who said Trump's going to jail is Donald Trump. That was on his pretend Twitter that we learned that he might be arrested on Tuesday. That is from him to the point now where the FBI and the NYPD are preparing for potential violence, and Trump is planning, if he's not locked up, to do a Waco rally. As if he's trying to sort of, I don't know, memify and signal a very dark uh, period and violent one in American history that involved a cult, which he also has. Just for a moment, if you could talk about how law enforcement should be thinking about this, because you've got now federal and state law enforcement. They do have to work together because he he basically is sort of soft calling for another January 6th. I don't think it's anything soft about it, Joy. I mean, he is absolutely trying to rile up his base. He is actually absolutely trying to implicitly encourage violence. I mean, when he says protest, 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 he's not saying anything about doing it peacefully. He knows what happens when he says that because he knows what happened on January 6th. Not only is he going to wake up, Joy, he's going to wake up literally on the 30th anniversary of the standoff at the Branch Davidian compound. And to the extent that anniversaries play a big deal in sort of energizing domestic terrorism and terrorist events, there is a symbology there that should not be lost on anybody. And so when you see these things coming out of his mouth, when you see state, local and federal law enforcement getting together, talking, trying to decide how are we going to safely, if he's indicted, get him into New York City and get him to his initial appearance, he very deliberately over all of these, whatever you call them, truths, tweets, whatever the heck you call it on his platform, he is implicitly calling for his followers to get riled up, to intimidate other people, and to try and stop things from happening. There's no doubt in my mind. And you see it in the same platforms. You see it on Patriots.win. You see it on all these sort of fringe websites where it's you know kind of trickling out and you're getting the same sort of chatter you had in late December and early January of 2021. And yet, Claire... Uh, you're a you're a prosecutor, state prosecutor. 
The, the response of the people who also were at risk of being murdered on January 6, 2021, the Republicans, is to say, how dare they touch Trump? You, state prosecutor, come here and explain yourself. Has that ever happened to you? You ever have to go testify before Congress because of a prosecution that you were doing? No. Um, the only time I was asked to testify is when we were doing some strategies on uh, preventing crime. And we were talking about drug courts and how effective they were. Uh, this is really a dark day. And um, I hope if and when he is invite, indicted, we don't make it a partisan party. This is serious, solemn stuff. He broke the law. It should be enforced. Alvin Bragg just needs to do his job and shut out the noise. It, it is it is a mundane fact that lawbreaking is followed by prosecution. This is not something special for Donald Trump, and it shouldn't be special in the sense that he gets away with it because he's Donald Trump. Claire is absolutely right. This is not a party. This is the way the rule of law is supposed to work. And that's the way it works, uh, folks on the right. You're just going to have to suck it up and get used to it um, if it happens, if it happens. Peter Strzok, Claire McCaskill, Charles Blow, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, the hush money grand jury hears from a witness who is trying to impeach Michael Cohen's testimony as Trump's legal troubles metastasize. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Donald Trump made the baseless claim over the weekend that tomorrow is going to be the day he gets arrested in the hush money payment investigation. But the truth is, we still don't know what charges, if any, District Attorney Alvin Bragg's Manhattan grand jury will send down or when. What we do know is that Trump and his team seem really worried about what Trump's former longtime fixer turned adversary Michael Cohen has told the grand jury and what receipts he brought with him. And today, the grand jury heard from Robert Costello, a former legal advisor to Cohen and present lawyer for Rudy Giuliani, at the request of Trump's legal team in their attempts to try to discredit Cohen. Here is Costello speaking to reporters following his grand jury appearance and Michael Cohen responding to Costello with our colleague Ari Melber in the last hour. Michael Cohen told us that he was approached by Stormy Daniels' lawyer and Stormy Daniels had negative information that she wanted to put in a lawsuit against Trump. So Michael Cohn decided on his own, that's what he told us, on his own to see if he could take care of this. So he sat with the lawyer for Stormy Daniels. They negotiated a non-disclosure agreement for $130,000. It's absolutely not true. I don't know what conversations he's referring to. He's making up so many stories here because he's playing to a party of one. 
He's doing yeah. what everybody does. And listen, I said the same thing to Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, and I said, I know the game that you're playing. I know the play that you're playing because I wrote the playbook. Joining me now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and professor at the University of Alabama School of Law and former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. Both are MSNBC legal analysts, friends of the show. Um, What do you make of it? Um, Let me read Lanny Davis's statement, Joyce. Um, Mr. Cohen was available for over two hours today, but we are pleased to report that Mr. Cohen was not needed. Once again, we repeat the facts and documents speak for themselves. Facts do matter. What do you make of the fact that while he was available, the, the grand jury did not Uh, call him or the prosecutor did not call him as a a, a rebuttal witness. Well, it sounds like the grand jurors were not as impressed with Mr. Costello's testimony as Mr. Costello was. To hear him speak, he had completely uh, just eviscerated Michael Cohen's uh, veracity, his truthfulness. If that was the case, you might expect that the grand jurors would have requested, as they're entitled Mm -hmm. to, to hear again from Mr. Cohen. The fact that they didn't suggest that there weren't major concerns, of course, we don't know for certain how that went. But the reality is the grand jury will be asked by the DA's office to vote on returning an indictment. And they are authorized to do that if there's probable cause to believe a crime was committed. So it seems that this stunt that Trump pulled today with Costello didn't ring the bell they hoped it would ring and prevent an indictment. And and I don't understand his argument, uh, honestly, Glenn. He's saying that that Michael Cohen, who did not have an affair with Stormy Daniels, on his own went and took out a HELOC for $130,000 and just on his own paid it, paid this money to Stormy Daniels just because he wanted to. Who does that? Why why would anybody, unless you know you're going to get reimbursed— And then he's trying to also make people believe that Donald Trump, who doesn't even pay his bills, just say, you know what, man, usually I don't do this, but go ahead and get this $130,000 back. And all that's coincidental. I don't understand why they called him this Costello guy. I don't get his argument at all. Yeah, I'd be surprised if the grand jurors were as gullible as the people who are still hanging on to Donald Trump, notwithstanding, you know, his crimes and his grifts and his lies. I actually think it was a pretty significant tactical blunder by Team Trump putting a mouthpiece for for Donald Trump before the grand jury, because let's assume that Robert Costello actually had some important information, some really serious damaging information about Michael Cohen. First of all, I don't think the grand jury would be moved because they have been hearing a mountain of evidence about the crimes of Donald Trump. But what did Team Trump succeed in doing? They showed their cards because had they saved Robert Costello for trial and sprung on the prosecutors and the trial jury, any deeply damaging information Costello might have had to offer, maybe the prosecutors would have been caught short. Maybe it would have impressed the trial jury. But now, The the prosecution can investigate anything Costello said. They can follow Mm. it up. They can debunk it and they can be completely uh, prepared to meet the force of it at trial. This was a tactical blunder by Team Trump. Let let me just play what Michael Cohen said. This is um, what Michael Cohen said to Ari about what they thought they were getting out of Costello. Take a look. In fact, it's a typical Donald J. Trump play out of the playbook. 
Figure out how you're going to muddy the water as best as you possibly can. Denigrate the person, disparage them. They did the same thing to Cassidy Hutchinson. They did yeah. the same thing to, to anyone and everyone that is, is for the truth. And the beauty, the beauty that I have is I have facts. I have truth. I have the documentation. Let me rephrase that. The district attorney has yeah. the documentation in order to validate every single statement that I've made. And, and Joyce, they also have he has recordings. Let me just play one real quick. I know I'm, I'm eating up time here. This is Michael Cohen talking to Donald Trump and uh, Weisselberg, the, his business, the business manager, about paying Karen McDougal, the other person that Trump had the affair with. Take a look. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be listen. The idea that he is some rogue actor, Joyce, makes no sense. He's consulting with Donald Trump about paying the other lady. What makes you think that he's just going to go and take out that much money, six figures to just hand over to someone he didn't sleep with? It just it just doesn't that that dog don't hunt. Well, that's exactly right. And this is how it works. If you're a prosecutor, you don't just put Michael Cohen, convicted felon on the witness stand and ask the jury to believe him. You put him on the witness stand and you corroborate what he testifies to with evidence. You corroborate everything that's material that he says, whether it's testimony from another witness, whether it's documents, you have to give the jury a reason to believe him. I mean, Michael Cohen, this is a man who wrote a book called Revenge. And on cross-examination, Donald Trump's lawyers will cross-examine him and try to expose his motives and say that he's making it all up. The prosecution has that burden of proving it. But they have something very important that they can argue to the jury after they do that. And it's this. The prosecution didn't pick Michael Cohen as their key witness. Donald Trump picked Michael Cohen as the key witness. Donald Trump yeah. hired Michael Cohen, used his tactics, and that ultimately is the picture that the jury will see. And, and what he got convicted of was all stuff for Donald Trump. Uh, very quickly, I want to ask you, Glenn, about this attempt to quash the Georgia investigation. Donald Trump's folks, they, they released this brief in which they're trying to claim, based on the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, that Fonnie Willis in Georgia should not be able to prosecute him. Your thoughts? Yeah, usually we see a motion to quash when a subpoena has been served and the witness that has been subpoenaed wants to argue the prosecutor doesn't really have a lawful basis to to issue the subpoena. So the witness will file or the attorney will file a motion to quash the subpoena, asking the judge to rule that the subpoena is unenforceable. So, you know, a motion to quash a grand jury report recommending that certain indictments be handed down doesn't really feel like a procedural thing. Now, I recognize we're in sort of uncharted waters here, but when, when you look, I haven't absorbed it all, but when you look at what's been filed, it, fe it feels like they're fighting the battle in the court of public opinion, not really yeah. in a court of law. This motion will be denied. And they look scared. I'm just going to say that. They, look, they seem real scared. Uh, Joyce Vance and Glenn Kirshner, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, thank you both very much. Still ahead, Republicans tried to weaponize the Trump investigations with calls for investigations into the investigators, dancing dangerously close to obstruction. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. 
Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When Republicans scream about the persecution of Donald Trump, they willfully ignore that he was a deeply flawed candidate with a long checkered past or what many of them used to say about him. This man is a pathological liar. He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. Donald Trump is a serial philanderer, and he boasts about it. I just really believe that the Republican Party has been kind here. He says he's for the little guy, but he's actually built a lot of his businesses on the backs of the little guy. And yet, as per usual, those same Republicans are circling the wagons around Trump. And in an unprecedented and legally dubious move, House Republicans are demanding that a state prosecutor leading an active investigation, Alvin Bragg, appear before them to explain himself. Talk about the weaponization of the federal government. This morning, in a letter to Bragg, Chairman Jim Jordan, who, let's face it, has some experience looking the other way when it comes to crimes on the Ohio State wrestling team, allegedly, along with Chairman James James Comer, who called for the Biden family to be investigated for supposed crimes joined Brian Steele, an unremarkable Republican from Wisconsin, in requesting Bragg's testimony, plus documents and communications related to the former president. Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, a former Republican who's now a Democratic strategist. Um, that's not a normal thing you ask for, Kurt. You don't ask a state prosecutor to produce the documents they're using in a prosecution. No, Joy. And, and let's be clear here. I, I spent years working for Republicans on the House Oversight Committee. I know how investigations are supposed to work. I know what congressional oversight is supposed to look like. This is not that. This is a deliberate effort, a partisan effort to try and interfere and obstruct an ongoing investigation so that they can acquire information, which they will certainly just turn over to Donald Trump and give him a leg up as he tries to mount a defense against what we expect will be a pending indictment. And it's just a flagrant abuse of power here, Joy. I mean, listen, congressional oversight is about looking at the federal government. It's about looking at what resources are being used, what taxpayer resources are being used at the federal level, and ensuring that there's no waste, fraud, abuse, mismanagement going on. Looking at a Manhattan DA or any DA's investigation at this level before the investigation's even concluded, before charges have even been filed, before a grand jury has taken action, is not the purview of a congressional oversight committee. What's going on right yeah. now is an embarrassing abuse of power and, a, and major damage to the separation of powers that we're supposed to have in this country. Yeah, whereas the fact they were tenthers, so I guess they ain't tenthers no more. Let, let me read you Kevin McCarthy's tweet because he's a particularly pernicious uh, faker, or maybe he's not faking. This is what he tweeted. 
They were in Orlando at like newly desanticized Disney World and he at, at a retreat. And he tweeted, D.A. Bragg has, quote, different rules for political opponents. And he added this like really gratuitous, like little dog whistle uh, bit. Republicans stopped the radical D.C. crime law and we will investigate any use of federal funds that are used to facilitate the perversion of the justice, the perversion of justice by Soros backed D.A.s across the country. Oh, that's a little anti-Semitic because, you know, when they say source, they mean Jewish. Yeah, I mean, they're just going back to their greatest hits playbook here. Notice how nobody in the Republican Party has anything to say about the actual crimes that Donald Trump is about to be charged with. They don't have anything to say about the criminal activity, alleged criminal activity that Trump and his campaign engaged in. They want to just blow right past that and go back to their greatest hits rhetoric, trying to make this about something that isn't to gaslight all of us. And I just don't think it's going to work, Joy. I just think this is a tired old playbook that we've seen time and again and all the while. You know, we've seen now the American people, they don't care about these Republican baseless witch hunt masquerading as investigations. They want their lawmakers to focus on stuff that actually matters to them in their day to day lives. The fact that Republicans are at this re- this retreat right now, which, by the way, is probably being paid for with taxpayer dollars uh, and, and brainstorming ways that they can now act as the legal defense entity for Donald Trump to act as the opposition research department for the Trump legal defense team is an egregious waste of taxpayer dollars. And in my opinion, a violation of the oath of office they are supposed to take. You know, there's there's been an interesting drama in Florida over how long it was going to take Ron uh, DeSantis to actually weigh in. He was pretty quiet. Um, And then Nikki Freed, the Democratic chairwoman, maybe the the best Democratic chairwoman they've had in a while, uh, trolled him for it on Twitter. And then he went, I got to say something. Here's what he said. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda. I noticed he said porn star hush money twice. So did Donald Trump. This was Donald Trump's response. Ron DeSanctimonious will probably find out about false accusations and fake stories in all caps sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man. I'm sure he will want to fight these midfits. Misfits, just like I do. And that is over a picture that allegedly from Midas touch of Ron DeSantis with some teenagers when he used to teach high school partying with them. (laughs) Thoughts? It's just a race to the bottom on the Republican side, Joy. Um, First of all, you notice how when people of color are being murdered by law enforcement. Republicans have nothing to say about our justice system. But the minute that a white billionaire uh, who has a lot of power is brought to scrutiny, all of a sudden, well, our justice system is unfair. It's inequitable. I mean, it's, it's amazing to find this out, this this great epiphany, Joy, that law enforcement may not be on the up and up, according to Republicans, all of a sudden right now. Uh, Ron Santos, though, he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. And, and I've said this for a long time. If any of these Republicans want to be successful in toppling Donald Trump, 
you're not going to be able to do so doing it halfway. You can't, on one hand, try to kind of give him a little slap across the face, but on the other, pander to his voters, pander to his base, try to cover for him and, and make him out to be innocent. That's not going to work. You got to go all in or you're going to find out just like Scott Walker, just like Ted Cruz, just like Marco Rubio, just like Jeb Bush did it. Don't work. That's a little Marco to you. because I mean, it sounds to me like he's gearing up some oppo on, on Ron, and we will see what that is because that sounds like a threat. Uh, Kurt Bardella, thank you. Up next on The Readout, just days after becoming the third head of state ever indicted on war crimes charges, Vladimir Putin visits the destroyed, occupied city of Mariupol, from which many of the thousands of abducted Ukrainian children were taken. More after this. Chinese President Xi Jinping arrived in Moscow today for a three-day state visit with Vladimir Putin, his first since Putin's brutal invasion of Ukraine, and the first by any foreign leader since Putin was indicted as a war criminal by the International Criminal Court. While China has called for peace, Xi's visit is a show of support for Russia and its international pariah president, as China continues to increase its global influence. The trip comes directly after Putin visited Ukraine for what appears to be the first time since the invasion began a perverse return to the scene of the crime. Under the cover of night, he toured the besieged city of Mariupol, driving himself through the city's streets and even visiting surviving residents in their homes. Mariupol is the site of the worst tragedies of the war, with at least 600 civilians killed in the shelling of a theater where they were seeking refuge. It's the site of horrific, unforgettable images, like this pregnant woman being wheeled away in a stretcher. But the most galling part of this propaganda op was Putin's trip to a Mariupol playground, as well as a children's center at an art school in illegally annexed Crimea. Notably, the arrest warrant from the International Criminal Court calls Putin allegedly responsible for the war crime of unlawful deportation and unlawful transfer of children from Ukraine to Russia. Many of those children are from Mariupol. This kind of obscene death and destruction will haunt the world forever, from a strategic vantage point, Putin miscalculated just how difficult it would be to invade and occupy a country that doesn't want him there. He must have told himself his brutal forces would be greeted as liberators. It's not the first time such a miscalculation has caused devastation. 20 years ago today, the United States invaded Iraq under false pretenses, forever changing the global order. So much so that Putin actually mentioned Iraq in his speech that he delivered last year justifying his illegal invasion of Ukraine. In an incredible Freudian slip last year, former President George W. Bush actually accidentally criticized the wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq, I mean, of Ukraine. The invasion of Iraq due to non-existent weapons of mass destruction was the original big lie, and we will discuss the impact of that lie and that war with a soldier who fought there next. Today marks 20 years since the beginning of the worst American foreign policy disaster in recent history, as U.S. and coalition forces invaded Iraq. It followed an air assault propagandized as shock and awe that cleared the way for ground troops. In an address to the nation, President George W. Bush painted the invasion as an effort to free the Iraqi people from Saddam Hussein's dictatorship and to find hidden weapons of mass destruction. Having already pushed his esteemed Secretary of State Colin Powell out front to sell that lie based on faulty intelligence, there were also claims from Vice President Dick Cheney of ties between Saddam Hussein's government and al-Qaeda, the terrorist organization behind the September 11 attacks. We eventually learned that none of that was true, but not before a lot of people died. As David Korn notes in Mother Jones, before Donald Trump's big lie, it was George W. Bush's big lie that launched that catastrophic war. 
adding that Bush and Cheney were not misled by flawed intelligence. They were promoting false information. And Bush himself promoted a different type of false information weeks after the invasion in his infamous mission accomplished speech in May on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier declaring combat operations over. That wasn't true either. The invasion turned into an eight year occupation that exposed the United States as not the world's policeman, but a nation that could torture imprisoned Iraqis at the Abu Ghraib prison with guards documenting abuse in graphic photos. And a nation that sent hundreds of accused detainees to a gulag at Guantanamo Bay, where some have been since 20, 2002, without ever being charged with a crime. In some cases, because they were tortured. So their testimony is unusable. Bush's lies further destroyed Americans' trust in government and broke our politics, giving rise to none other than Donald Trump, who during his 2016 campaign pointed to the lies and bad decisions by Bush's team as his argument to voters, despite the fact that when it started, he supported the war. Most importantly, though, there is the devastating human toll of that catastrophic war that began two decades ago today. A Brown University study found between 275 and 306,000 Iraqi civilians were killed by direct violence following the U.S. invasion, in addition to more than 8,000 American military personnel and contractors who lost their lives and tens of thousands injured and maimed. Joining me now is John Soltz. Chairman of, the vote, uh, chairman of Vote Vets. He's a two-tour Iraq War veteran, serving as a U.S. Army captain during the initial invasion and as a major at the end of the war. John, I am so glad that you're available to talk to me today. Uh, to me, one of the biggest legacies of the war were the lies. You know, two-thirds of Americans believed that we were in Iraq because of Afghanistan, and that wasn't true. But still, most people believe the big lie. What do you think the legacy of that war is? Obviously, the, the, the people who died and the people who were injured, but to, I'm going to just let you talk. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's interesting because all, all weekend I sort of started reading the news and and I, I think about the war every day. I mean, there's not a day of, of the folks who served there don't think about it. Um, but I met you many years ago arguing against um, putting more troops back into Iraq during the surge, which is still debated in the military. You know, there's a lot of people that want to say, well, the war was done, but the surge worked. And the surge was about as bad as the, the invasion because it simply just punted the football um, on the administration. But there certainly are a lot of people now that are willing to question the war and admit, hey, you know, this was 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 done uh, with bad information or false information or um, these types of things. And I, I look at all of them and because people say to me all the time, well, how did you know? You know, how did you know that this was bogus? And the truth is they knew, too. Uh, a lot of people knew. But the question was, yeah. did you could you question or stand up or look past what you saw from, you know, other, certain networks and what they were spewing at the time? Uh, could you look past you know, the banishing of the Dixie chicks um, and do some critical thinking to realize that maybe Saddam wants people to think that he has weapons of mass destruction because the Kurds or the Iranians would whack him uh, if they knew the facts. And, and fundamentally, that's still the core uh, challenge that we face, which is our truly misinterpretation of the perception that he portrayed. And then we yeah. essentially destabilized the entire region uh, for many, many years. Right. I mean, and, and you know, the, the even the tie to um, Gitmo. I mean, Gitmo, you know, this was this global war on terror where we were allowed to open this like gulag, but they were torturing people there to try to make them say that Iraq was involved. Right. And, and they weren't. And I mean, we went to the point of torturing people to try to make them lie to say that somehow Saddam Hussein was a terrible human being, but he wasn't involved in that. And the way that they manipulated people's rage and fear over 9-11 to get into Iraq, I still think is one of the biggest sort of political crimes and crimes of, of, of immorality coming from a presidential administration. Yeah, I, I live in 
I live in Florida now. So um, sometimes people are like, oh, you, you work in democratic politics or, oh, you know, but you served in the war. And I'm like, well, I can, I don't think I could ever, you know, be a Republican because they lied me into a war. And I, I, when I went into Iraq, um, I was with first armor division. We left Germany. We wanted to get into Iraq to get, get combat patches. The the war was over. We're, you know, get to Baghdad. And, um, you know, we, I, I certainly believe that stuff. And I, I think that for me, one of the reasons I had such a hard time after my first deployment, when I returned, uh, home to go to graduate school was I had to really come to a realization that I was misled or lied to. And over the weekend, I was watching clips of people that were in documentaries, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago, and now their opinion today. And I think a lot of veterans have gone through that, you know, because there was this huge sense of pride. Um, and it's really hard to find out that your, your president or your government may have lied to you. Um, in regards to the Gitmo stuff, I, I would just stress that, you know, we didn't get Uday and Kuse or Saddam Hussein torturing people. Um, you know, that is not a tactic that works. It is a reason it's against yeah. the army field manuals. Um, torture fo- creates false information because people will tell you whatever you want to hear. Um, yeah. but certainly the perception of Gitmo supercharges even today, um, some challenges that we face in regards to rule of law and democracy promotion. It's an undermine of sort of our, our constitutional thesis. You know, it's interesting that, you know, Donald Trump sort of negated George W. Bush, who I think would have gone down as the worst president in, in, in American history, but for the presence of Donald Trump. But the, the legacy of this is, according to studies, some 300,000 troops are suffering from major depression or post-traumatic stress from serving in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. 320,000 received brain injuries. Um, and it was all for a lie. Yeah, that's such a a complicated question. I mean, I, I, I always tell, say it like this. Um, first, the wars never end when, you know, the, the, the people who fight in the war, uh, you know, they don't really win or lose. Yeah. The, the the nations win, but, um, the, the war will last forever and for these folks. And, um, I think that's the legacy of it. Absolutely. Uh, John Soltz, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. That is tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.